Well, amen, amen. Let's appreciate Liz on that. Thankful for her setting the table for us in this passage in Matthew chapter 6. So if you brought your Bibles with you today, and I really hope you did, go ahead and make your way to Matthew 6. We started this Lord's Prayer uh, last week, and we're going to continue to walk through it this week and in uh, the weeks ahead. So excited to see what God would have to say to us through specifically verse 10, but we're going to read the entirety of the Lord's Prayer. But before we read that, a few years ago, my, uh, my kids and I, my whole family, we went down to Orlando, and I took them to Disney, and we went to um, Animal Kingdom. And those of you that have been to Animal Kingdom, there's a ride there that's kind of like the pinnacle ride for you to go on. It's Expedition Everest. And if you're not familiar with Animal Kingdom and you've never seen this ride, this is a picture of it, all right? So it looks like what Everest would look like. And uh, what you do is you get in this uh, roller coaster that looks like a train, and you go on these tracks to like really steep up the, the top of this mountain. And then you start to descend pretty quick in that, uh, on, on the tracks, and then you go up to the top of the very top of the mountain, and it looks like the, the train tracks have been just ripped and destroyed and bent backwards. And so you stop, and if you're in the front, you can actually like see over the edge. And so this is, this is an intimidating ride in, in some extent. And then after a long pause, as you're at the top of this Mount Everest ride, then you go backwards down the track in the dark through this mountain. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a great ride, but it is something intimidating about it. There's a lot of joy in it, but there's a lot of intimidation. So my kids really wanted to, to ride this ride. And so as we got in line, I feel like you can see this ride on both of my kids' face, right? So there we are, Expedition Everest. And you got uh, one of my kids... There's intimidation on, on the face, right? There's like, I don't know about this. I see this giant mountain and these, these coaster rides, and I, I don't quite know. And then you see extreme excitement on the other one of my kids' face of just like, oh, my goodness, we're going to get to ride this ride. But, but even she was nervous. Even she was intimidated as we're waiting in line. And the longer we wait in line, the, the excitement's building and the intimidation is building and my daughter keeps saying, you know what, we're doing this, we're doing this, because I'd rather have five seconds of fear than a lifetime of regret. A lifetime of regret. Five seconds of fear I'm going to embrace for, so I won't have a lifetime of regret. Like, this is really where they are on this ride. And we rode it, and they loved it, and to this day, they would tell you it's one of their, their favorite rides that they've ever been on. Now, why do I tell you that? Well, because this passage that we're going to look at today, um, the Lord's Prayer, this is the Mount Everest of all model prayers. This is the top of all prayers. And specifically verse 10, you see two types of requests in this prayer. An exciting request, one filled with joy and hope and, and just anticipation. And then you also see an intimidating request that is in this. And oftentimes we miss it, but we need to slow down to see both the excitement and also the intimidation of this request. So we'll start in verse 9, go through verse 13, but we'll settle on verse 10. It says this, Jesus speaking, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Pray with me this morning. Our Father in heaven, we praise you, for there is nothing in this world as good as you. Above all 
we desire for your glory. May your name be set apart and holy today. May the whole world join with us to give you the honor that you deserve. Lord, I ask that your kingdom would come and your will would be done among us. Help us this morning to know and to understand and to pursue your kingdom. Now, if you would, pray something similar to that for yourself in this moment of silence. Pray now. Also pray for me that I would honor the Lord and share his word well with you today. Pray for me. Lord, we ask that you prepare our hearts to receive your truth. Give us ears to hear your truth and mouths that are quick to share it. Let your word take root deep in our lives and bear fruit plentiful. It's in your name we ask. Amen. Amen. All right, so verse 10 is where we're settling in today. Verse 10, like I said, you've got two types of requests. And the first one I want us to see is an exciting prayer request. An exciting prayer request. And the, the request is this, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Now, this is an exciting request because we know the king, and the king tells us about the kingdom. You say, this could be a fearful prayer to pray. This could create a lot of stress and anxiety in our lives if he were an oppressive king, if he were a sadistic king, if he were an angry king at everyone. But what we saw last week in verse 9, that this king is like a Father, remember what we talked about? He is both almighty and powerful and strong, and yet he's like a father who is loving. The two things that a father should wed together, both might and love, that's who our king is. So when it says your kingdom come, we're seeing just a piece of the love and the strength of God come. But he is more than just a father. He's more than that. You look through the pages of scripture and you see all the descriptions of this king and it makes it exciting for us to pray your kingdom come. We turn the pages of scripture and we see that he is a powerful king but a one of great sovereignty and providence. He is a holy king. He does no wrong. He does all things right and he is set apart. He is a just king who will right all wrongs. He is a long-suffering and patient king. He's a forgiving king. He's a good king. So thinking, thinking about his kingdom coming, this is an exciting prayer. This is an exciting request. Because, because the kingdom always takes on the character of the king. Every nation will ultimately reflect the prerogative of the one who is in charge and the one who leads it. So when we say, God, your kingdom come, what we're praying, what we're saying is, God, would there be justice that comes? Would your mercy come? Would your love come? Would forgiveness come? Would your holiness come? Would purity come? All of these things are who our king is. 
And so we can excitedly pray, Lord, your kingdom come. Now, what's interesting is if you go back to uh, the beginning of Matthew or even in Mark, Jesus is starting his ministry off and he talks about the kingdom. And he says the kingdom of God is at hand. Which is interesting because if we're here and we're like, Jesus, you're saying the, the kingdom of God is at hand, then, then why haven't all these things happened yet? Well, Jesus is the inauguration of that kingdom. He's the one that starts that kingdom. And so his life and his ministry, what we find are glimpses of the kingdom as he brings it to its fulfillment. Now, if you read with that lens what happens in the Gospels, it will build excitement in your heart for this kingdom to come. Because every one of Jesus' miracles were done in order to give us a glimpse of the kingdom. I mean, you realize that, that Jesus could have done a number of miracles. I mean, he, he could have done millions of different miracles, and he chose to do the ones that he did intentionally because it's a glimpse of what his kingdom will be like. Let me give you some examples. So we look and we see Jesus feeding the 5,000. What that tells us is that in his kingdom, there will be no famine. In his kingdom, there will be no hungry bellies. Everyone will have all that they need and even abundantly. That's a miracle that Jesus did to show us what his kingdom is like. Jesus healed those who were disabled. This is a snapshot of what will be to come. Because there will be no more physical brokenness. Got to get a praise for that, right? Our bodies won't break down anymore. We'll have no more sore muscles. and like, like This would be such a blessing, right? When Jesus heals those who are disabled, the lame start to walk like we just sang in that song. This is a glimpse, this is a picture of the kingdom of God coming. This should breed excitement in us that all of these broken things in our bodies will be no more. Even sickness. Jesus healed sick people. Do you know what that tells us about the kingdom of God? There will be no COVID in that kingdom. There will be no cancer in that kingdom. All sicknesses will be gone as his kingdom comes. Jesus spoke and calmed a storm. Just by a word. This is a glimpse of the kingdom. For in his kingdom, there will be no more tsunamis that are destroying places. There will be no more deadly floods that happen. It's not going to happen. Jesus raised people from the dead. He raised them from the dead. And not only did he raise people from the dead, he went to the cross on our behalf, taking our sin in our place taking that curse on him, and then he took that curse into the grave. The penalty of, death, or penalty of sin is death. He did that, and then he defeated sin in the grave and death and rose again. Why? Because his kingdom, there is no death, and there is no sin. This is what we're praying when we say, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Let this rest well in your heart and marinate there. In this kingdom, there will be no more tears or crying, no more pain, no more broken homes, no more piercing loneliness that haunts us in the middle of the night, no more disunity, no more hopelessness, just perfect peace and perfect justice and perfect love and true rest. And one of the things I love about Jesus making this request is this shows us, this tells us when he says, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That God's kingdom is not just a heavenly, ethereal, spiritual kingdom way out here that we don't understand. No, it is one that is coming to earth. 
It is a tangible kingdom. It is a physical kingdom. All of these things that we just talked about, we saw in the miracles of the life of Christ, will become a reality. Will become a reality. This is a tangible kingdom. And when heaven touches earth, it will be a cure to all weariness and all fear and all sadness. This is what we're praying This is what breeds excitement as we pray, let your kingdom come. Now, you might be even asking in your mind, right, if Jesus said the kingdom has come, then then once again, why isn't all this stuff happening? Why isn't it completed already? Well, Jesus coming is the inauguration of that kingdom. Jesus said in a parable, it's like a mustard seed that comes really small and then grows really big until all the nations of the earth come under its shade. You see, the kingdom is here, but it's also coming. It's already, and it's not yet. It's here, and it is here to come. And Jesus tells us in Matthew 24 that he has ordained the kingdom. He's ordained it, and he's also ordained the time when Christ will come again to complete all of these things. So why is it not happened yet? Matthew 24, verse 14 says this, and this gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. The end will come. It says the gospel must go to the ends of the earth, to every single nation before the kingdom of God will be completely here. Jesus has ordained that date, but he's also ordained us to play a part in the coming of the kingdom. And that's why he says, pray like this, let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come. Now, all of us are familiar with a lazy river. Maybe you've been on a lazy river before. Um, they're, They're great. They can be glorious, right? Um, there's two ways you can travel around a lazy river, okay? You can just kind of sit back and do nothing in your little tube, and eventually you'll, you'll make it around to the other side. Or you can work diligently like this guy's doing to, you know, move your kids or to paddle or to move forward. Like, those are two different ways you can get around in the lazy river. And what I find is that in Christianity, many times we just try to float down the lazy river, Trusting God's going to get it all done. So why should we even paddle with prayer? Why should we even pursue this? God's, God's ordained it all. Well, yes, God has ordained it. But he hasn't just ordained the end. He has ordained the means to reach the end. And Jesus says that this means is prayer. That we would pray that his kingdom would come and we would be faithful to share with our lips that his kingdom is coming. And it is a good kingdom. It's the kingdom of the gospel, the good news. Are we praying like this? Are we praying that God's kingdom would come? Are we praying such bold prayers? God has even been working on my heart this week, convicting me with this. What if, what if tomorrow morning God showed up in your bedroom and said to you, Hey, everything that you have prayed this, this entire last week, all seven days, everything you've prayed, the answer to that is yes. 
how much would the world change because of your prayer? If God said yes to everything that you prayed this last week, how much would the world change because of your prayer? Would it be any different? I mean, how many of you, because of your prayers this last week, if God said yes to all your prayers, there would be people that are saved in this room this morning because of your prayers this last week? How many of you, because you're praying for the kingdom to come, would there be churches started in unreached areas around the world because you prayed this week for his kingdom to come in that way? How many pastors would be raised up because you're faithfully and diligently praying, God, would you raise up leaders that your kingdom would continue to come? Would our city be impacted because of your prayers? Would our world be impacted because of your prayers? Would my, would my prayers impact our city and our world? Because these are the kind of prayers that God is calling us to pray. That his kingdom would come. Now don't misunderstand me. God cares when we pray for the different personal needs in our lives. We're going to see that next week as it says, give us this day our daily bread. And God does care absolutely if you have a sick friend or a family member that you pray for them. That's a piece of God's kingdom coming, right? We want sicknesses gone away. We want healing. Like Those are good things. But all that we would pray grander prayers... All that we would pray, big prayers. Would we pray in such a way that it almost scares us that we pray to that end? See, I'm afraid that we might be praying so small that it's an insult to an almighty God. I mean, if he is almighty and he is strong and he is this loving father, then why are our prayers seemingly so small? Why do we only pray, God, would you just change my world? When we're not praying, God, would you change the entire world? Because he wants to, and he is going to, and he's powerful enough to do it. All that God would just radically change our prayers. In order for our prayers to be changed, I think we need to look through two lenses. Kind of like looking through binoculars. We need to see this prayer, your kingdom come, through these two lenses. One, the lens of the heart of God. That God desires to redeem that which is broken. That God desires to seek out that which is lost. Like this is a heartbeat of God. That death is something that, that breaks even the heart of God. And Jesus stood there at his friend's funeral and he wept. That we would see and understand that. But at the same time that we would look through the lens of God's great power. Yes, this world is broken, we see that, but we see God's great power and his desire that his kingdom would come. And as we look through both those lenses, that it would change us in the way that we pray. God, we see the brokenness, would you fix these things because you have the power to do it, because you are the king, because you have a kingdom that we need. All that we would pray and that we would ask that. Now we have to understand as we look through those two lenses, it doesn't just start with the world, it starts with us. It starts with us. You see, as we see that God both sees the brokenness of the world and desires to fix us, he also looks into our heart and our lives, and he sees the brokenness of sin in our life, and he desires to change it. You see, we look at a broken world, but we have to admit that we are a part of the problem. Our sin, our selfishness is a part of the reason the world is broken like it is. 
And if we look at God and we know that he has a heartbeat to renovate the world, we first need to say, God, I need you to renovate me. I need you to save me. If you're redeeming this broken world, I need you to also redeem me. If you really want to pray, God, let your kingdom come, Lord, may it first start with me. Me. The first two times that the word kingdom is used in the gospel of Matthew, it's paired with another word. And I think it's significant. I think it's important. The word that kingdom is paired with at the beginning of Matthew is repent. Jesus, as he talks about the kingdom, he first looks at you and he looks at me. And he says, repent. That means to turn from your sinful ways and to turn to him. To turn from your will being done and your kingdom done to to his will be done and his kingdom come. There's repentance. There's a change that Christ is inviting us into. And as we are changed, as his kingdom comes in us, then he looks at us and he says, now I want you to help bring heaven to earth. I have rescued you, and now you're a part of the rescue team. It's your job to go and to share this good news that the kingdom has come, and it is coming. All that we would have the mission of God as our mission in our lives. That we would look and say, God, I desire that your name and your fame be glorified, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in my life. That your kingdom would come in my neighborhood as it is in heaven. That your kingdom would come in my marriage or in my singleness. That your kingdom would come in my workplace, from my neighborhoods to the nations. All that we would pray such bold prayers to the Lord because that's what Jesus is encouraging us to do as we pray this excited prayer of your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Now, a second request that we find in here is more of an intimidating prayer. It really is. It says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is an intimidating prayer request. You might say, Ryan, it doesn't seem intimidating. This request is a lot more radical than we first realize when we read it. If you slow down and you think about this, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For many of us, this is our worst nightmare. More than anyone else in modern history, or in history, modern people believe that we should get everything we want in life. And everything in life should go exactly the way that we planned, and exactly the way that we hoped, and exactly the way that we dreamed. We have all of these self-interests that we have in our lives, but this prayer is intimidating because it's saying we're laying those self-interests down and we're taking up God's interests first. That is intimidating, especially in a world and in a culture which looks at us and says, no, 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 you be true to you. (laughs) You do everything that you feel like you need to do within your heart. Don't think about the community. Don't think about how it's going to impact any of the relationships. You just do what makes you happy. I mean, Burger King, right? Do it your way or have it your way. That's the, the culture or the world that we live in. But when we pray this prayer, it's saying, no, even though I have plans in my life, just like Liz talked about at the beginning, even though I have plans in my life, if God chooses another way, God, your way is better. God, if you 
say your will is this, and my heart and my culture says, no, I want to go this way or do something different, I'm going to choose your will and your way. This is a surrender. This is a yielding to God's will over our own will. Man, some of you can't imagine taking the wheels off of your plans. Like you've got a 15-year plan, and you're like, God, you've got to execute these things, right? I'm praying to this 15-year plan end. And God's saying, hey, it's okay to have plans. But all that you would release your hands to say, God, but not my will. Not my will. Let your will be done. You see, I think this request is such an intimidating request because what it is, in reality, is taking your heart, everything you love, everything you care about, and you're putting it into the fire of God's love and truth. You're allowing God's love and truth to melt down your heart and to shape it and to refine it to match not your will anymore, but God's will. And you even find that God's will starts to become a greater desire than your own will. And this is a scary thing to do. This is a hard thing to do, to put your heart into the fiery furnace of God's love and truth. But that's what it means. Your will be done. Your will be done. Let all things happen according to your way. God, let everything that I plan happen or let nothing that I plan happen. And as long as it's your will, then I can be content. Let me suffer or let me prosper, but let your will be done. Let me be used or let me be laid aside. I don't care, but let me be used according to your will. Let me be at your disposal that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. You feel the intimidation of that prayer, the weight of that prayer? And Jesus attaches to this prayer on earth as it is in heaven. Now, once again, you can read by those words really quickly, but what does that mean? What is Jesus trying to get us to grasp and understand when he says on earth as it is in heaven? Have you ever asked that before? I mean, first, when we say we want to obey your will on earth as it is in heaven, that means that we want to do it instantaneously. When God gives a command in heaven, say to the angel Michael, Michael doesn't walk away and say, well, let me think about it for a little bit. Okay, I'm going to think. Man, is that, is that really what I want to do? Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Okay, let me come back. All right, Father, I heard your, your request. I guess I'll do it. No. God the Father says, this is what I want done, and it happens instantaneously. There's no delay in it. It's done immediately. So often we just hear God's word and we hear his truth and we debate it and we're like, do we want to do this? Do we not want to do this? I don't know. I don't know. That's not what it looks like to have his will be done in our lives on earth as it is in heaven. No, we obey without delay. But it's also done constantly in heaven. People are, or the angels are always knowing God's will and doing God's will. So, so often for us, we, we kind of ebb and flow, Right? So often we're like, well, I was on fire on Sunday because I thought about God's word and I prayed a little bit. So like I want to keep God's will on Sunday. And then Monday comes and we're in this low of lows and we're like, I don't know if I want to keep God's will anymore. But that's not how it's done in heaven. Heaven is done perfectly. And it's done constantly. But it's also done completely. When God gives his commands, 
for his will to be done, the angels don't sit up in heaven and say, well, well, God, we really like this part of the command. We don't really like this part of the man, so we'll keep this, but we won't keep that. But so often here on earth, that's what we do. We read God's word and we're looking, we're like, God, I really like this command. Like, that's great. Let me, I'll, I'll keep that. Let's tuck that in my pocket right there. Like, we're good. That one, not so much. Let's get rid of that. I don't really like that one. That one's hard. I don't like it. But that's not what God's will looks like to be done on earth as it is in heaven. No, we keep it completely. We keep it completely, even when obedience is hard and even when it's difficult. We don't desire, and God doesn't desire, partial obedience, but full obedience to his will. But also, God's will is done in heaven with an undivided heart. With an undivided heart. Too often here on earth, we'll, we'll maybe do some of the things, but our heart is so divided. It's filled with a dull formality. Of, I, I got it done. But a formality oftentimes mocks real obedience. Maybe we'll sing with our lips, but our hearts are silent. Maybe we think that the utterance of words is prayer. But it's far, far more than that. When we know God's will, we pray God help us to keep your will and love it. This is what it means that we would keep God's will on earth as it is in heaven. Now what's beautiful about this is Jesus gives us this command. He gives us this command as a model prayer. But Jesus lived it out. He didn't just say, hey, I want you to do this. Pray like this, God. His kingdom will come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then Jesus is like, no, I'm going to live and kind of do my own thing. No, if you know 20 chapters from now in the Gospel of Matthew, you see Jesus sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he is praying to God the Father. And he's saying, God, I know what's ahead. I know the cup of wrath I'm going to drink because of sin and the, the iniquity of this world. I'm going to take it on myself for all who would believe. He's like, I don't want to have to carry that. I don't want to have to carry the curse. I don't want to have to go to the cross. But then do you realize what Jesus said very next thing in that prayer? But not my will. Not my will, but your will be done. Jesus knew the pain and the suffering that he was going to have to go through. It wasn't his, his best life now. He knew it was going to be hard. He knew it was going to be difficult. But he submitted and he surrendered to the Father, even though it took him to the cross, where he would bear the curse of our sin. Look at the sacrifice that Jesus made. Look at what was bearing down on him to say, your will be done. This is what Jesus did. He says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And praise God for that. Praise God that he prayed in that way and he lived the life that reflected this model prayer. Because if he didn't, then the only thing that would be in front of us is eternity in hell. That would be it. But because Jesus came and he took our sins on the cross, now we can have eternal life. We can have forgiveness. We can have freedom. This is joy and joy everlasting that is offered to us. Jesus, as he said yes to the Father's will, and as he went to the cross, he made a way for us to be forgiven and have life everlasting. 
Oh, this is good news, right? This is good news for us. This is how Jesus lived. This is how Jesus prayed. Perfect submission to the will of the Father. And this type of action that Christ took, this type of action demands a response from us. It demands a response from us. This type of sacrifice requires us to act. You see, as Jesus prays this prayer and lives this prayer, now he looks at us and he's like, what are you going to do with it? It's an invitation for us to respond, to say, okay, I'm going to lay down my will and I'm going to choose your will and your way. It demands a response. So 16 years ago, I proposed to my wife on uh, 4th of July. My wife loves fireworks. And so I had planned this whole night around going to a place that had fireworks. And we could watch these fireworks go off. And, and before the fireworks started, you know, I get down on my knee. And I open up that box and it has the ring in there. And I, and I ask her, will you marry me? Now, uh, for those of you that are single, that have that desire, that somebody would do that um, and propose to you one day, let me just say this. Um, that, that's not a bad desire. That's a good desire. Um, but when that time comes, there's only two responses that you have. There's only two responses, okay? It's either yes or no. Okay? That's it. Yes or no. Uh, like I said, my wife said yes. But could you imagine if I proposed to my wife and, I, and I, in my deep love for her, I opened up that box and I showed her the ring and I said, will you marry me? And she says, thank you. That's so nice. That's so nice. And just gratitude wells up in my heart. That's weird, right? That's odd. Because that kind of action to propose re requires a response, requires an action, a yes or a no. You can say, yes, I want to, to, to buy my life together with you till death do us part. Or you can say, no, we need to cut ties and move away. But you can't say, oh, I'm just so thankful. And yet... When it comes to Christianity, a lot of times we look at the love and the sacrifice of Christ, and we're like, oh, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. That's so kind of you. I'm so grateful. That kind of sacrifice where Jesus says, not my will, but your will be done, and I will go to the cross. I will die for these people in their sins in order to save them. Gratitude is not a sufficient response. Not by itself. You should have gratitude. But it requires an action. It requires a response from you that you would say, yes, Lord, your will be done and your kingdom come. Or sadly, you harden your heart and you say, no, God, I'm still holding on to my kingdom and my will and my way. There is no middle ground of like, oh, thank you, Jesus. That's great. And so what I want us to do is tangibly respond to this today, take action on this today. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you just a couple minutes to pray and respond. What I want to do is set that time up for you first. For some of you, this is a chance for you to yield your life to Christ. Some of you know that you have been holding on to your will and your way and your plans, and you need to say, God, nope, I want to repent of my sin, of delayed obedience to your will, or partial obedience to your will, and I want to be all in for you. And so, God, would you forgive me 
And may your kingdom come in my heart. May your kingdom come in my life. Rescue me and then put me on the rescue team to share this good news with others. Some of you, that's what you need to pray today. God, I need your kingdom to come and renovate my heart and my life. For some of you, you know you know Jesus. He has rescued you. He's redeemed you. And yet you are still holding on to these plans that are your plans. And God's like, no, 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 no. I want you to do this or I want this to happen in your life. And you're like, no, God, it's got to be my way. Maybe today you just even physically open up your hands and like, God, no, I am yielding my will and my plans to your will and your way. And I'm praying that your kingdom would come through me into this broken and lost world. Would you take time to respond in that way and to pray to him today? And then, after a couple minutes is up of your prayers and response to him, then I want us to joyfully sing and loudly sing a prayer to God. We sang it last week, but it's the Lord's Prayer. Just a little little additions made here and there, but this is a a song that we're going to sing. But I don't want it just to be a song from your lips. I want it to be a prayer from your life. So as we close out this time of prayer, let's sing loudly and pray to God through that song. So let's take just a moment now and let's pray yielding our will to God's will. Let's pray.